We're also thankful for our volunteers. We're going to go hang out with kids in Kid Zone and the nursery. Thank you for volunteering for that. If you do volunteer for, for that. Hey, I really enjoyed the missions trip as well. Really feel like I benefited from that. Thanks, Kent. Just like how um, our military sends people like Michael Van Valkenburg all over the country to different bases to learn different skills, I felt like we were sent down to Big Creek or to Wheelwright to learn how to serve. And so I think the folks down in Wheelwright benefited because we met needs and served, but I think we benefited because we learned the skills from them that we can improve at. So I, I think it was really worth our time and really a win win situation. If you'd like to open your Bibles with me, I'd like to speak to you from Titus. So we'll be in the book of Titus today, as Cheyenne mentioned. And uh, I haven't said it yet, but happy 4th of July. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them. I pray that you would speak over me while I speak to them. I pray that you would do this for your glory's sake, for our sake, and for the good of the world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I tried to draw you a picture of godliness, and this is the picture I drew. You think of a tree. Um, including its roots. And we said, godliness begins with our beliefs or our faith. So it begins with the idea that I know that Jesus died for my sins and that I've received that. That is faith. And what that grows into is good works. So we're not saved by our good works. So we don't have to accumulate enough good works for God to like us. That's not how salvation works. But it's receiving that by faith, so believing it, and then, because we're saved, growing good works. And so it is an upward process from the roots into the tree. Then we said legalism is when we try to say faith isn't all that important, um, beliefs aren't all that important, what you really need in your life is commands and rules. And you can look, see this in the culture in all different places where people will say what you need is this set of rules or that set of rules or these five steps or those ten steps. And it's like separated from beliefs and really the power of God that gives that stuff, that makes that stuff even possible. We also said the other area, the other error would be just focusing on correct facts. And so never really having any good works come out of anything we're doing. And so maybe knowing about service, but never actually getting around to serve, like, like we have the opportunity to do down there in Wheelwright. So godliness is the whole tree. It is the integration of what we say we believe with what we do. And we said, uh, I, last week I pointed this out, and it really seemed to resonate that a key problem people have with Christianity is people who say one thing and do something completely different. And we said that is hypocrisy. 
And that is a core problem of what was going on in Crete. So, God desires godliness. This is where we want to start, as we remember from last week. And what we're going to read this week is qualifications for an elder, which is going to be the summary of godliness. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, hey, leaders need to lead. Leaders need to go, for, go first and model godliness. So what you'll see as we read this list is this is the whole tree. that We're looking for people that live integrated lives. And this is something that we all want to aspire to. We all want to aspire to live integrated lives where what we say ends up being what we do. What we say we believe, we end up living out and putting into practice. Unless you don't, unless you'd rather settle for hypocrisy. I don't, I don't think you want to settle for hypocrisy. I don't think you want to settle for inconsistency. So read this list with me and ask yourself, am I being consistent? So the Apostle Paul writes to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. By the way, you can go to Crete today. I won't show you a map because I don't have time. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. They had been on a mission trip together. They had started some churches, but it still needed some structure. And so Paul says, I'm going to leave you there. You put stuff in order, and part of putting stuff in order is putting people in charge. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach. Now, if you have an NIV, which is a different translation than the ESV, you'd have blameless there. And it, it, just, it just means people aren't going to look at your life and say, well, that's out of order. It, it's you're living an ordered life. You're living out what you know is true about God. So if anyone is above reproach, notice that this is part of godliness. Where I expect Paul to start sometimes is I expect him to say, I, I want you to know these 25 things. No, nope. he says you got to live a godly life, which means a blameless or above reproach life. So what is ground zero of godliness? It is how committed are you to your marriage? That is ground zero of godliness. What does it mean to be above reproach? Well, he says, here's the first thing, the husband of one wife or a man of one woman. How loyal are you to your wife? This is, like I say, on earth, real godliness. The ground zero for real world godliness is marriage. Some of us, I, I really want to push on this. I really want to push on this with you because I think a lot of us, what you really believe is that godliness equals really smart. Godliness equals knows lots of big words. Paul would say, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. Those big words have to lead to a good marriage or you're doing it wrong. Having a well-defined position on sacerdotalism may be a good thing. 
But it's a waste of time if it doesn't lead you into a better marriage. Godliness has to have real-world implications, or you're doing it wrong. So Paul says, look for people that model a whole integrated life. And that means living a blameless life. The first thing about blameless is, do they have a good marriage? Like, what kind of marriage do they have? The second one is going to mess with you maybe even more. Ready for this? And his children, this is minors living at home, are faithful or are um, believers. I actually uh, updated that this morning, and so um, I wrote that wrong. Uh, Instead of copying and pasting it, it says in the text here, And his children are believers, and the footnote is are faithful. So sorry about that. I I just want everyone to know, I am not trying to change the Bible. It was a typo. (laughs) So his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So Paul's like, okay, so here's the thing about godliness. Godliness means blameless. Blameless means how's your marriage, and how are your kids? You know, we could talk about parsing Greek verbs. But parsing Greek verbs better lead to better parenting. I love that godliness is not just abstract theory after abstract theory that feels like an awful waste of time. I love that godliness has to lead to real world change. Real world, heaven on earth, your kingdom come, your will be done, change in people's lives. For an overseer, as God's steward, so like if you're going to try to manage God's assets for him, and if you're going to try to run God's house, better have your own house in order, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Notice that's the second time it said that. And he's just pointing at the whole tree. Like, you got to live the whole life. For he must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Okay, I I mean, we could spend a long time going through each of these, and it would be profitable, but I'm going to stop and talk about the two that I think Paul emphasized the most. He said godliness first has to do with being blameless, and the summary of blameless, how you know you're blameless, is your marriage, what's his marriage like, what are his kids like, and then he goes through this long list, and sometimes it's helpful to look at the one on the end. Sometimes the beginning and the end are what you emphasize, And the one at the end is disciplined. Is he putting into practice what he knows is true? So you have what you know is true, is that are you disciplined enough to put that into practice in how you live? 
If you're not disciplined, it'll be hard to do any of the other stuff on the list. God desires godliness. So what we need to do is hold firm to the word. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Sound means healthy, and so it's a healthy relationship between what you know and what you're doing, between what you say you believe and how you're actually living. So you may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So if I was going to try to sum up this whole first paragraph... I'd say God desires godliness. He desires us to live integrated lives. So what we should do is we should hold firm to the word with our whole life in, in knowledge and in what we say we know and in what we do, that we be living out our beliefs all the time. So how would we go about, like, like okay, let's say that Let's say you hear this and you go, I don't know if I'm blameless because my marriage isn't awesome. Or I'm hearing this and I'm going, I'm not sure I'm doing the best job parenting. Or you're hearing this going, I don't know if I'm all that disciplined. Well, what is the trustworthy word that we can hold to? And I think the trustworthy word we can hold to is in chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 11, but I'm going to, it's that paragraph there where Paul um, really explains the gospel. I'm going to jump into it in verse 14. Actually, I'll start in verse 13. Waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. See, this is the gospel. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That sin is like a debt you saw like when someone sins against you, you like, they owe me better than that. Sin is like a debt. And he paid our debt. That means with his life. Like that's what that means. That he gave himself for us. Sin is like a debt. He paid our debt. Sin has to be punished. Sometimes when people sin against you, you're like, they cannot get away with that. Sin has to be punished. And he gave himself for us. Meaning he died in our place. He took our punishment onto himself. He died our death to give us his life. He gave himself for us. That's a trustworthy word that you must hold on to. Then it says, to redeem us from all lawlessness. So like, look, if you hold on to this idea that I was lost in my sin and Christ died for me, and then when you're struggling in your marriage, and you're struggling in your marriage, and you're frustrated and frustrated and frustrated, I think it will help to remember the Apostle Paul's command to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means love her with laying down your life, like not what I want, but what you want. Laying down your life, dying on the cross, meaning all sacrifice, my desires for your desires, my needs for your needs. Laying down your life, dying on the cross, love. 
And sometimes when we hear that, we go, but she doesn't deserve it. You think you deserved it? What do you deserve? He died for our sins. We deserve wrath and punishment and death. And then what does the Apostle Paul say to wives? Well, you can summarize it with respect him. But what if he doesn't deserve it? Well, do you deserve it? Hold fast to this word. Hold fast to the word of the gospel in your marriage. Hold fast to the word of the gospel in your parenting. Look what it says here in verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So God is patiently making us a people for himself and patiently he is getting rid of our flaws and our faults. I think, how patient has God been with me? How patient has he been that Nathan deals with the same old stuff time and time again? How persistent has he been with me that he keeps coming back and keeps... Keeps helping me along. What if we had this same model with our kids? That we would be patient and persistent. That we would not give up. That we would not lose our patience. But we would keep, keep moving them in the right direction. Keep correcting them again and again and again and again. With patience after patience after patience just like Jesus did with us. It would be firm and clear and consistent, just like God is with us as he purifies us and makes us a people for himself. This would also, I think, help with discipline. When we think of this is how God is, this is how we can be. So it says in verse 14, who gave himself for us, he died in our place, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. My, my impression is that everybody is zealous about something. Everybody, at some point, says, I'm going to take what I know and put it in, into practice. Some people are incredibly zealous at taking what they know about fishing and putting it into practice. Some people are incredibly zealous about finances, taking what they know and putting it into practice. Some people are incredibly zealous when it comes to finding good deals. I know where to look, you know, and putting it into practice. I got an amen. Thank you for that. Everybody's zealous about something, and Paul is saying, be zealous for good works. You were saved. You were forgiven. You're redeemed. You're being purified into people for his own. So let that grow into good works. Put it into practice. So God desires godliness, and that means real-world change. That means real-world transformation into more and more of Christ's character. And that comes out in our marriage, it comes out in our parenting, it comes out in discipline. But that's not the only option. There's another option available where we can get it wrong. And so this is what we're going to read about now. 
For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, people that want to go backwards in time. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. You know what it means to upset something? Like imagine I have a basket of fruit and I upset it would mean like I flip it over and everything would go spilling out and rolling all over the place. I think that's happened to a lot of families and a lot of churches over the last two years as we have focused on stuff other than the gospel. Because some people have been teaching stuff that they ought not to teach. They've gotten distracted. from the, It's not necessarily that they've been denying what is true, but they've gotten distracted from what they should be focusing on. And so churches and families have really gotten spilled all over the place and scattered. One of the, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, so Paul is going to quote one of their... One of them, to talk about them, this is really shocking stuff. Cretan says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And he's like, but it's not true, it's not true. No, he says, it's true. (laughs) Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. See, here's the thing. Even them, Paul is saying the goal is that they be sound in the faith, that they have a healthy relationship between what they say they believe and what they're doing. So the goal of the rebuke is that they would have health. Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, and to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. For they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. It's like they have, they have been upset or turned over and scattered because they've been focused on not the gospel, because they are distracted. They're focusing on Jewish myths rather than the truth about the gospel, and they're focusing on the commands of people rather than on the good works that we're supposed to focus on. So they're upset, they're distracted, and they've become useless. They're unfit for any good work because they've lost their center. The point is, don't lose your center. The point is, don't get distracted. Don't turn away from the gospel. Not in what you believe and not in what you're doing. Live an integrated life. Have continuity between what you believe and what you do. So are you living an integrated life? You have continuity between what you say you believe and what you're doing? I can't, you know, I said last week I can't assign homework, but if I could, like this is, this is what I would do. I'd, I'd invite you to read Titus 5, 1, 5 through 11 out loud. So this is the passage we've read this week. 
And ask yourself, um, am I living consistently? And ask them, am I living consistently? So I got this idea from Kent and Becky, because they said that after, I think it was after family camp, you guys would gather the kids, and you'd say, so are we doing anything that's confusing? Like, are we saying one thing? and then confusing you by doing something else. Am I, am I summarizing that well? And then Kent said, you have to brace yourself for what they say. And try not to argue with them. Just listen to them. And so on Father's Day this last year, I tried this. I said, okay, am I, am I saying stuff that I'm not doing? Am I making rules for you that I'm not keeping? Like, am I, am I, am, is there any hypocrisy that I'm unaware of? Because I, I try to root it out as best I can, but how am I doing? And before that conversation, I had just resolved in my mind, I will not argue with them. I will not. I will only listen to them. And I will just, We'll just hear it out, and I'll, sometimes I'll ask for more information, like, okay, help me understand that, or um, that's a good point. Um, does this have something to do with that? Like, help me. Sometimes I can ask clarifying questions, but I will not argue. I will just listen. I'd invite you. I've done this with Cheyenne before, too. How's our marriage? How am I doing in our marriage? You could do this. You could ask the most important people in your life, the people that you are the closest to, how am I doing with consistency? Am I living out what I say I believe? Am I walking the talk? I think you want to do this because I think you want to be consistent people. I think you, you believe the gospel, and you want to live it out. And I think you abhor hypocrisy, and you want nothing to do with it. So live consistent lives by putting the gospel into practice. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for showing up for us and dying for our sin and rising again on the third day. Lord, I thank you for this. I ask you to pull us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And